What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Whiskey Web and Whatnot with your hosts, Robbie the Wagner and Charles William Carpenter the First. <laughs> yeah, I killed the other two. Yeah. That's how you take over. I'm now the king of carpenters. Yeah, our anyway. guest today is Dax. What's going on, Dax? I'm good. How are you guys? Good, it's good. Superb. Do you want to uh, give a couple of sentences for the folks at home about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Dax. I am a software engineer. Been doing this mostly at very early, early stage companies, either as a founder or like the first employee for the past uh, 10 or so years. Past couple of years, been full time working on open source, helping people build stuff on AWS, which everyone loves and, and I'm sure is really excited to do. But we try to make that uh, a little bit easier. Uh, and yeah, spent a lot of time online just hanging out. So that's me. You. You forgot shit poster, Twitter shit poster. <laughs> By the way, this is a, it's not a PG show. So. That comes with the, uh, when I say open source developer, like that, I think that's implied. It's like the marketing part. It's not shit posting. It's called marketing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I have to clarify I, that. Yeah. No, that's yeah. great. Let's say, uh, I, I'll, uh, I'll start, uh, marketing more directly. <laughs> yeah. If it gets engagement, it got the job done, right? <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Yeah. All right. So to get things kicked off, we'll start by talking about the whiskey. So Dax asked me to uh, get the strongest, highest <laughs> alcohol proof that I could. So uh, I selected today the Bell Mead Sour Mash Straight Whiskey, Straight Bourbon Whiskey, sorry. Uh, it's 90.4 proof, so 45.2% uh, alcohol if math works, I don't know. They don't give you the mash bill, but they say it's a proprietary blend of differing mash bills and yeast strains but does include a high rye of 30%. It's not age-dated, but it does have to be a minimum of four years to be called bourbon in the United States. And uh, most research that I found said that it's usually a blend of six to eight years. So even though this is a Tennessee whiskey, the uh, misnomer is it can still be bourbon. Nice. That sounds really good. I didn't understand 90% of what you said, but <laughs> I, I think I'm sold already. This is, why, this is why I bring whiskey into the show so I can for this just one moment, be the smartest person in the room. That's it. <laughs> well, I'm already intimidated now. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. We need to start having whiskey experts on so you can not be the smartest person. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not opposed. Everybody wants to learn something. And then we have fancy glasses. You don't have to have fancy That's glasses. That's fancy. I put yeah, ice in mine. I don't know if that was the right move or not. Nobody. Okay. <laughs> I've given this advice before too, though, but I think it's good and it's worth continuing to share. So I was on a tour at a distillery many years ago. Old man is doing the tour. It's usually like retirees or whatever else. And he's talking about like some of the super expensive whiskeys, some of the cheaper ones. And he's like, at the end of the day, the best whiskey is the one you like. And personally, I think that includes the way you like to have it. Who's taking this into their body? It's not a trophy. I mean, if you enjoy <laughs> it and you happen to enjoy it a particular way, roll with that. It's only Robbie I don't let do ice. So yeah, I used to do ice. <laughs> All right. He did crushed ice though, so it was like, come on, it's just it pour does... water in at that point. No, no, it's it's efficient as long as you drink it fast enough that it's not watered down. Yeah. So this fancy glass is called a Glencarn. It's a traditional way to like funnel <laughs> up the. Yeah, it funnels. Oh, up, it like, has an impact aromas. on the. Uh, yeah, and it's supposed to reduce the amount of like alcohol actually that affects the smell that gets. I uh, who knows. Yeah, mine is true. called. People a, make a lot of stuff up. Whatever I found in my parents' cabinet, so mm -hmm. I'm not sure yes. what this is. <laughs> and it's called a free to you glass. Yeah, it is. You get a little floral. And I was going to say that caramel. Yeah, I got to get ahead of you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was trying to pick Flowery, a specific like smells floral, like a an amaryllis mm. maybe. I am not good with it. Are you guys just making this stuff up? Like, what are you... Oh, yeah. What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yes and no, right? Like, I... Okay, there are common terms that people will use to, like, derive things out of whiskey. But it's always about, like, smelling and trying to... Like, you know, it doesn't t smell like flowers. It smells like a kind of whiskey that has kinds of grains in there that was in a kind of barrel getting some of the woodiness also. Right. But ultimately, there's no way to, like, give that a made-up word... So you find different olfactory descriptors yeah. to say like, mm, this kind of has like, as if I was smelling a flower, as if I was smelling like a chocolate or a caramel I or chocolate. Yeah, they do that with coffee too. Are you Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, my friend is super into coffee and he explained this exact same concept to me. It's not like literally it, this smell, it's like the concept. Exactly. And it's the yeah. same concept with uh, with wine too. So yeah. I, yeah. 
All right, I'm going to try it. It also smells a little like Twizzlers. Hmm. Mm. See, the problem is also when people say things, they start to, uh, it gets in your head. As soon as you mm. said Twizzlers, guess what I was tasting? A little bit of like, <laughs> oh, it does. It does make makes mouth happy. Mouths happy, plural. I did not taste Twizzlers. I will say that much. <laughs> yeah, A little bit of that like fake red, whatever the Twizzler flavor is. Mm. I could get a smidge of that. It's it's some, some kind of red dye 40. initially. Yeah, red dye 40 is... <laughs> Doesn't cause cancer. Twizzler is a sponsor of this podcast, so that's why he has to say that. <laughs> Nobody sponsors this. No. no, but I continue to get more of a, like a caramel or brown sugar in it as it sits. But Oh, actually, was it a couple of years ago? We were in Tennessee, and we, we have tried this whiskey because we went to the Greenbrier Distillery in Nashville. Mm. Tried a couple of other things. So that's how I knew it was like, this will be okay for Dax. And the, the one of the tricks is, too, is that your your tongue when you first have like this like harsh alcohol will start salivating and throw off your your tastes so you should do a first one where you kind of swish it around and get oh, that chewy. out of the way and then yeah chew it that's what they call it chew your whiskey first uh, and get some some bitter too a little yeah like i'm not tasting much because i scarfed down a little bit of taco bell right before this as i was setting oh, up a <laughs> oh, beautiful pairing the taco bell and the whiskey Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know about that. Like, if you're going, you, Robbie argues that Taco Bell isn't Mexican food. It's just its own mm-hmm. brand it's own of thing. food. Yeah. Like, it's its own genre. So it's like Del Taco or Taco Bell. I don't even know what else would possibly I, be in that category. I agree with that. Taco Bell is like Mexican themed, but it's not like yeah. Mexican food. Like that, that's just their like aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. The American Crunchy Taco, like they were one of the original, I, I, I don't know, I saw something once that said like they, they invented the Crunchy Taco. I don't know if that's 100% true, but they were definitely like fake. the purveyors of making that popular in America, mm. I think. Yeah, I could see that. Um, yeah, because that wasn't a thing in Mexico. So I guess in that sense, like they were leading with that initially. And Mexican pizzas are delicious. They're kind of tostadas, mm-hmm. but kind of not. Maybe I can buy it. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> if inspired, if someone else Mexican says it. Inspired. Yeah, inspired yeah. by fusion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like a a bunch of white people have like a birthday party and have a pinata there, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah. sure. Well, it's maybe like, you don't have the party at Taco Bell, but yeah, maybe you could. You might have the party at Taco Bell. <laughs> Some people get <laughs> married there much. in Vegas, so uh, they had a pop up Taco Bell ho- hotel in Palm Springs a few years ago, mm-hmm. actually. Yep. Yeah, it was kind of a funny thing. It was like going on for like a month and sold out like crazy. Yeah. It was wow. in like a bougie area of Palm Springs too. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. Well, we're getting very yeah. into whatnot. Let's let's rate this whiskey. Okay, so we have a highly complex rating system, so I hope you're ready for this. It is, oh. uh, since we are developers, we will make it zero, zero-based. Zero to eight tentacles because of the octopus so zero this is terrible i would never have it again you could even spit it out if you want eight amazing this is my go-to adult libation of all time we'll just say oh. that way four being just kind of like this is fine yeah it's not bad it's not great there we go middle of the road since we have a lot of whiskey we tend to like break things up and segment it although this you know so this is a bourbon would be like like maker's mark is a bourbon that's kind mm-hmm. of a popular one jim beam things like that i'm not sure what you've had already but I don't know. You can categorize it how you want because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Okay. So, so you want you want a rating from me, who is someone um, who's never rated you, whiskey before? Right. Well, yes. <laughs> it's my first you rating of all. We time. don't want to influence you. Don't, you. Yeah, but you don't. Oh, yeah, if we influence you too, so that's kind of what. It's the only reason okay. why you're on the spot first. So, There's really no wrong answer. Yeah. So I've only ever had like just the whiskey that you would. In liquor stores, like nothing special. Uh, so the stuff, stuff you said, like Maker's Mark, Jim Bean, Jack Daniels, obviously, just stuff that probably is not very good. So, relative to that, it definitely tastes similar. Like, I'm not like this is a completely different drink. Like, wow, it gets so different when it's you know special, but it's definitely a lot better. Uh, so I would probably, if you said like four is like a, like a meh, I think I would yeah. rate it higher than that. I'd probably rate it like a six, I think. There we go. Me. Yes. That sounds great. That's a, a nice, solid, like, not bad. Yeah. Pretty decent kind of thing. Yeah, pretty good. Like, I would drink this more. Good, because you have the rest of the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> well, my wife will take care of the rest of the bottle. She's the drinker of the two of us. She's She loves making, like, interesting cocktails, like, all kinds of stuff. So, nice. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah. Knowing that, I'm going to put a pin in it then. 
<laughs> and for a second, like, I'll come back later on. I got an idea. Uh, Robbie? Um, I think I would say a six as well. I think it's pretty good. It's, um, it's better than most bourbons. Like it has a little more spiciness to it. A little bit of some things I'd expect from a rye. So I'm a fan and I give it a six. Yeah. I I knew you were going to be kind of high because of the high rye content in the mash bill. Well, for me, it's tasty. It's, it's pretty easy. It's not like anything crazy expensive either. So, and it's pretty accessible and I like approachable whiskeys too. I'm not like Pappy Van Winkle is my eight and this is the best thing ever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like I think it's way overpriced for for what you're getting out of it. So given that, I'm still, I'm at like a five, five and a half, something like that. Like I'd come back to this. I see it. I, I enjoy it. Depends on kind of what I'm in the mood for. So for me, I'd say five. All right. So let's start with some hot takes or let's, we should just call these lukewarm takes because most of them are yeah, not I know. Hot Some of them are old and some of them <laughs> is like, you know, whatever. So yeah. Uh, and these are essentially thing like questions we picked up from tech Twitter and the ridiculousness that happened. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. So for TypeScript, inferred types or explicit types? Uh, inferred all the way. Inferred all the way. And to expand on that, uh, this is something where I'm not like, there's some things where I'm like, okay, certain things click with certain people and other things click with other people. And like, you know, I lean this way or I lean another way. This one, I'm like, that's not, this is not in that category. It's in the category of like, I don't think you understand the tool. If you're not using inferred types, you're probably writing stuff in a very different way. It's not really taking advantage of, of certain things. And that's why that whole conversation was so frustrating for me. Cause it's like, you're missing the point. But I think, I actually think overwhelmingly most of the big types of authors leaned towards inferred types so i feel like at this point that's like we landed somewhere with that one yeah our our sample audience i would say 80 percent of them said it depends and then had very long explanations for going in either direction so i think you'd be surprised i mean yeah. again maybe it just depends on who you ask kind of thing yeah well 80 percent of your the people you talk to are cowards and that's my <laughs> that's my hot take <laughs> there is there is some of that it you're is afraid a to take take. aside. But uh Yeah, I think there is some of that. I yeah. think they're like, Well, I know what I like, but I don't want to tell you what to do. I don't want people do. to be angry at me. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I have my wife for that. Um <laughs> All right. All right. I'm gonna take the get rebase or get merge. Oh man, you guys are just going. I remember I, re- I remember this week. I remember this week <laughs> where that it was first inferred types and then we went straight into the rebase. Uh I'm definitely in the rebase camp. I actually, the first thing I do whenever I start a Git repo is I like enforce all the things that make it so require linear history, a rebase before merge, uh, all that stuff. We have switched to just trunk-based development, so we like hardly use branches anymore. So yeah, it just becomes, that question even becomes less relevant when you're not heavily branching. So definitely on the rebase side. That's fair. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a proponent of rebase and i think just because back in the day where i got told read the fucking manual and do things right and kind of thing you know you just get your stuff rejected and wasn't necessarily like fostered along the the happy path of whatever project it just is like i I worked hard for this tailwind or vanilla css Ooh, i actually don't do either so my history is i used to use utility classes i had a library i wrote myself called legos basically a shittier tailwind like I kind of grew it organically over time. I just added the classes I need, uh, but it was all utility classes meant to be used very in line with the markup you were writing. At some point when Tailwind came out, I did switch to Tailwind, uh, but this was after like five or so years of using that pattern. Uh, and then a couple years ago, maybe three or four years ago, I've stopped. I think I used Tailwind for like a short while right after it got popular. Then I kind of stopped using that pattern entirely. Uh, but I don't use vanilla CSS. I still stick to, there was a great library called stitches, which was a CSS and JS library that's now unmaintained. Um, but right before it became unmaintained, uh, I worked with another developer to bring its API to, uh, a new project that was built on top of vanilla extract and vanilla extract is a define your CSS and TypeScript thing. Uh, everything gets statically extracted. So there's no runtime overhead, but then it still has all the great stuff that stitches did for building components so my take on that is the reason i do that is it's a nice middle ground between um i guess not really middle ground uh tailwind is great because you don't have to think at all like you just write tweak your designs in line very very productive up front with something like so the other project i'm referring to is called a macron like dessert you have to think a little bit more up front a little bit more effort up front a little more tedium up front but your markup stays 
stays very clean. And I found for like kind of long-term maintainability, that's what, that's what I lean towards. Okay. Clarify real quick. So when you said Macron, I thought you were like the French president. Uh, I've always been confused about this. His name sounds just like the dessert. Is that on purpose? Right. Do you mean the little cookies, like the macaroons? The, the, the circle. They... But I, yeah, think okay. they're, I think they're not pronounced macaroons. Yeah, there's only one O. C-A-R-O-N or something like yeah. that. We, we do it wrong in America, but there's only one Yeah, we o. do it wrong in America. I'm yeah. sure of that. So. <laughs> I thought macaroons were of... something else entirely. I thought those were like no, that's just, dessert. That's just us being stupid. <laughs> and just going that. Yeah. I'm certain. I mean, like, because my wife loves those things, so we have them all the time. Oh, I love them too. They're so good. Yeah. Okay, so let's see. Oh, yes, this is a good one for me, I guess, just because I've been talking about it lately. Will HTMX change the way we build apps, <laughs> web apps? Uh, oh, this is a tough one because HTMX finally gave me a follow, and now I feel like I owe <laughs> Don't them. Don't fuck it up. Don't yeah. fuck it up. No, I, yeah. <laughs> I've only been making fun of HTMX since they've done that, so I don't. I think I'm okay. That's uh, why you I, got followed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, I don't think it'll change much. I think it is a fantastic tool for languages that do not have a web framework or like you don't really want a heavy web framework. Let's say you're experimenting with some cool, interesting language on the back end. You do want to ship a web app. Uh, dropping HTMX in is a great way to build a somewhat dynamic application. So I think it's really great and useful in that scenario. And so I think that's where you see a lot of the excitement. But I don't think it affects the majority of like people doing heavy web dev work. I personally build really heavy client-side applications and it like can't even address that. So it's not even in the realm of like stuff that I would I would consider. I mean, I do think it's interesting in, in providing more like lo-fi solutions like Astro obviously preceded that or not, whatever. Astro got to prominence prior yeah. to and had people just start asking the questions. That's why, why not PHP now or whatever else, but saying, you know, why can't you have this unified server-side application and maybe that's okay the islands architecture maybe that's okay and and this htmx being another yeah there's no one size fits all i think that's probably it yeah. depends is the right answer here, yeah I, I think if i'm if i'm building something simple and i just want to get something interactive and i don't want to do any client side javascript like yeah I would, I would definitely reach for it it's just not for me personally it's not a situation that comes up that often but like i said definitely see it and if you're doing if you're like getting into ocaml and you want to like learn how to do that and use that do you really want to build a whole like web development framework around it? Like probably not. Yeah. There's no danger of me getting into OCaml. So <laughs> hey, you never know. You never know. <laughs> right. You know, like I'm going to write Ember uh, until I die. <laughs> or until it actually dies or until yeah. you die. And those might be simultaneous. Like, <laughs> you'll be the last guy and you die. And so does it. And there, yeah. there it goes. That's, I mean, something dying with you is a great legacy to have. I would, I would like yeah. that. It's not, it's not, yeah, when will we change Tomster to like Robster, Robbyster? I don't know. It doesn't well, that is so weird because Tom is gone. So it shouldn't, we shouldn't have Tomster anymore. I don't know. I didn't know he died. Well, he didn't die. He's not part <laughs> he of the He died on a pile of money. He did. Yeah. Um, he's, he's living very well on a pile of money, actually. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. He should move to Miami is what I hear. <laughs> All right. So we'll talk a little bit of tech. We'll talk a little bit of bullshit later. But uh, so when did you first get involved in the SST project? Yeah, so uh, the project, I think, came out, it was like in the beginning of the year of 2020, I want to say. I think it's hard to it's hard to remember, whatever, beginning of some year in the past. And I was one of the first users because I was, so prior to doing all the serverless AWS stuff that I do now, I was heavily in the Elixir world. I just got bored of that at some point. And I was like, there's not like much more for me to learn here. So I'm just going to shake it up and try to build things in a different way. Found all these serverless people talking about serverless and like saying all this crazy stuff. And some of it just kind of resonated with me. I uh, was working on something that was like a little bit compliance heavy at the time. And there was a great way to like avoid a lot of the compliance questions when you don't actually manage things that you're responsible for, which is kind of the idea behind serverless. Started to realize, okay, the experience around this is terrible. Started to build my own crappy solution for some of the problems that I ran into, just local debugging and kind of making the developer experience good. Then found SST, realized, okay, they did this a lot better and they actually have been doing this for a while. They understand this really well. Uh, so I started using it just as a way to like play around with some of the stuff I was building, built some test projects with it. Uh, ended up contributing a lot of lot back to it. Not in the form of PRs, more in the form of 
long messages explaining why I think they should rewrite big portions of it and then making them mm. rewrite it. Oh, that was you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I was just annoying them. Uh, I might have submitted some PRs, but I think it was mostly me just getting getting Frank to to like redo his work. They were raising a round at that point. Uh, they opened up like 10% of the round they were raising to their users. I ended up investing in the company. Uh, my thought process was, okay, I believe serverless is going to be bigger in the future than it is now. And if there's an opportunity to build a product in it, these guys will have, will figure that out, whether it's what they're currently building or something in the, in, in the future they pivot to. And then maybe like a month after, uh, I made that investment. Uh, I started to leave the role I was in and I mentioned, Hey, I'm like I'm leaving. And they reached out to me to ask if I wanted to join the team. And we did a bunch of just kind of conversations, maybe like, oh, we did a lot of conversations. I think we spoke for like hours and hours and hours and hours and we all really clicked. So I ended up joining the team and they basically just gave me my money back, except that now I owe taxes on it. So it was a terrible situation um. <laughs> overall, uh, tax wise and accounting wise, but yeah. yeah. Their, their heart was in the right place. Yeah, I first started, I got introduced to it somewhere in the like 0.3 days. I came onto a project to like lead a, a consulting project and one of the devs was doing a lot of serverless stuff and brought this Dynamoose and SST, which, you know, at that point I felt like it was mostly a wrapper around the AWS CDK. And so it essentially like just managed setting up infrastructure at that point, didn't really do much with your project itself, but then also C.run was happening then too which was i mean this that was like oh crap that hand in hand this is really nice yeah my only interactions with with jay and frank were essentially i have have problems help me and then you know they're just answering stuff direct it was pretty pretty funny so that was about the time i i first came up with it and they had like kind of some of the best docs going versus uh you know the serverless framework serverless stack was just running you through getting all this going and it continues to be excellent documentation and and guides too to like get get folks started so yeah i'm not sure how it correlates like your time to join and when c dot run yeah and it's still happening but yeah the, the history of the company is kind of funny so they originally built so uh the thing i referred to seed that was the idea behind that was a lot of people are using serverless framework let's build a ci tool plus a little bit more that was just focused on deploying serverless framework projects uh, when you build a specific CI like that, you can do all kinds of optimizations around like how fast it builds, what it builds, what it deploys, and, and, and optimizing all that. Uh, and then it kind of shifted into production questions too around like tracking your logs, like viewing your logs, automatically watching for errors and alerting you kind of like how Sentry would. So it's like a full product for going from, from development to, to production. What they realized at some point was okay, even if we literally capture the whole market today, that's a pretty good business, but it's not like a venture scale billion dollar company uh, because the serverless world is small. And if we just leave the task of growing it in the hands of the existing frameworks, it's probably not gonna grow as fast as we needed to. So they shifted towards building a framework with the idea of just making it so companies consider building in this way when, when they're founded. Because I think at that point, it wasn't even on anyone's radar, like building that way, they kind of had the traditional frameworks. So just even get to the point of it being something that they consider uh, was kind of the original goal of, of, of that framework. And it's obviously grown to a much bigger, more ambitious thing now. Um, but yeah, I think originally the website, it was called serverlessstack.com. It wasn't even a framework. I think the thing you're referring to is, a, it was just an ebook really. It was a guide on how to build fully serverless applications because I think, and I, if I, go back to uh, that time or like my time before joining my perception was oh that's good for like these little one-off little tasks like i need to resize an image i'm going to put a lambda function there uh, so the guide was around showing people no you can actually build your whole application this way it can be really complex and you know here's how to do it and here are the benefits and here's why you should do it so the guide itself got really popular and there's a ton of traffic and at some mm -hmm. point uh we just shipped a framework <laughs> put it at the same domain and that was like our acquisition channel for for that. Yeah, which totally makes sense because yes, yeah, serverless framework was like the massive player in the space. Yeah. It's actually what I was using at the time. Mm -hmm. And SST essentially just set up infrastructure. The application was the serverless framework. But yeah, uh, and like you said, you could. It was let's put together an API. Let's have your React, and because it was even next at that point, no real mm -hmm. meta framework traction. 
and put the whole thing out in AWS for you because so many businesses get built upon AWS consoles sucks. AWS CLI yeah. <laughs> is right. hard to navigate around. Let's help you do that and make a little money. Yeah, exactly. But to a degree, that brings about the question of like, AWS console sucks so bad and the other tools aren't great that so many companies could be built on top of that. I'll probably just leave Azure to the side because that's <laughs> self-explanatory, but like GCP, is it as shitty and nobody's building a business on top of that or it's just a, ma a matter yeah. of like the math isn't as good? Yeah, I would say, uh, I think the cloud business is kind of interesting because I don't believe you can catch up to a company that started before you in the cloud business because it's just a matter of getting bigger. And when you get bigger, your cost just gets cheaper. Uh, when your costs get cheaper, you get more customers, which makes you bigger, which then makes your costs go cheaper. So AWS just started that before everyone else. And even if you build a better product in certain categories to directly compete with them, it's very, very hard. And I think the great, the example that I give is, uh, AWS obviously like prints money to the degree where it basically subsidizes like everything else that they do, like it makes their e-commerce business look like a side business. Um, like they make so much money. Yeah, exactly. They make so much money. Google Cloud, which has effectively the same product, just made a little bit of money for the first time this last quarter. So they've been around for a while and they have not been able to make money while a competitor with the same product is like making ungodly amounts of money, right? The reality is, is you just got to follow where the money is and the attention is. Yes, some people consider using Google Cloud. There's a lot of reasons why I personally won't. But numbers-wise, like AWS has a million customers. So if our goal is to become the default way to build applications on AWS, if we're even moderately successful at that, that is a huge, huge pool of, of companies and new companies that are constantly being brought in. Building on top of someone else like that is challenging, but you can do it if they're big enough. And AWS is really the only one that's, that's big enough today. So really, like... There's probably no near-term future where it makes any sense to make SST work well on GCP or Azure. Yeah, and the other side of it, on a more technical side, is uh, we are built around the idea of event-driven system. So you define your system as a bunch of events and things that react to events. And AWS is very uh, aligned with that, and they build, they give you primitives that let you do that. Uh, Google Cloud is in this weird limbo where they bet hard on Kubernetes and container workloads. And their cloud is still very geared towards that. They're kind of being forced to consider some of the stuff that AWS has just to maintain parity, but it's not like the thing that they're betting on, at least yeah. not yet. They haven't switched over. It, it just doesn't line up with the area that we focus on. Can we regress back for a minute? Just a quick question. Yeah. What does SST stand for? Is it six Whatever serverless you want it. something? <laughs> serverless. It was serverless stack. Yeah. Okay. Thing. I don't know. <laughs> Okay, so the history with this is, like I said, the guide was called serverless stack. We just shoved the framework under the same domain just to like get the traffic. But we don't like the name. We didn't like the name for the framework. We didn't have much room to really change it because of the whole SEO thing. Like we do get a ton of traffic just from SEO. And I think just making a complete change was difficult. So we just named it after the CLI, which was called SST at the time. And at this point, my stance is it doesn't stand for anything. Uh, people have thrown out some stupid thing, which I kind of like, uh, some serverless thing. There's all kinds of weird stuff. I'm thinking that, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but if you go to NPM on the top, every time you refresh a page, it says it stands for something different. It's randomly generated. I'm like, that's probably what we should go for because I don't, I just want people thinking SSD and not thinking about what it, what it stands for, which is a little weird, but I don't know, just kind of where we ended up. How's that going to affect the swag, though, you know? Like, every swag run has a different definition or something like that. And then you're like, oh, oh I got version 2 that had edition. a clever thing. Yes. Yeah. That is cool. So that people in. It's like NFTs, but with serverless. <laughs> I'm, I'm good at coming up with some swag ideas. So uh, I had some for Ryan Carniato, like, cool. about... Uh, his like solid stuff and making it more like his tattoos and like old Dogtown skateboard looking shit. Yeah. Yeah. Was he on, was he on his podcast? Yeah, mm -hmm. he was. Oh, cool. Clearly you're an avid listener. <laughs> I love, I love inviting people on and then trapping them as like not knowing who we are. Yeah. Yeah. What was your favorite episode? <laughs> yeah. I'm also, I'm also this close one. to Ryan. So it's like, I failed on both parts. I didn't know he was on here and I didn't just from both, both directions. So yeah. I'm not a good yeah, person. We had, <laughs> 
Uh, that's why I wanted you on. I, I feel like we're <laughs> spirit animals in a way. I'm also not a good person. And so I, I laugh too many times at, at your marketing tweets. And I was like, yeah, we should talk to Dex. I'm into that. Plus, there's this, I was confused. I thought you were the actor with a really popular podcast, too, at first. And so I was like, fuck, well, I guess, I guess he should the, come on. The anyway. white guy with blonde hair, that one. <laughs> he was married to Kristen Bell. Yeah. yeah. Anna from Frozen. You seem like a big Disney fan. You're in Florida. You know this is. <laughs> Are you finished with your regression, Robert? Robert yeah, I was just Robert wondering Wagner. the whole time what it was. So I was just curious. Continue on. Yeah. Uh, conversely, and I know you guys do support more than just Next.js in terms of the, like the the front end framework. But I, mm -hmm. I'm curious. Like, so it was a big push um, not that long ago around uh, Open Next and free mm -hmm. Next.js and mm -hmm. like sort of getting into the internals and unlocking some of that. So because. Obviously, Vercel is highly incentivized to make their stuff work the best on their platform, right? And you guys, I, w I mean, for lack of a better term, possibly say, like, kind of reversed engineered some of that and mm -hmm. locked this library into being able to do that independently. Is that a correct assumption? Or yeah. it's more of what I've inferred and kind of what I, I've seen there. So yeah, no, that's, everybody that's gets the power of Vercel, right? Yep, exactly. That's uh, That's a goal. Okay, <laughs> I shouldn't ask a yes or no question. This is a little <laughs> problem. Uh, so I, the first part of it then, do you think that's going to be challenging to constantly chase that as they evolve Next.js? Yeah, uh, by the way, we hate this project. We hate Open Next. We hate our time spent on it. The reason we did it is because people just kept asking us to uh, just over and over. People were like, hey, can you help me deploy Next.js? Hey, can you help me deploy Next.js? Frank even told me that years ago when they were interviewing, so I joined SST right when they were finishing up their YC batch. So they were interviewing other YC companies. And so many of them were just like, help me deploy Next.js in AWS. And we just ignored all of that. We did the thing that every, every founder knows, listen to your users. And we just didn't for several years. But eventually this got so annoying. This got so annoying. They were like, you have to do this. We're like, okay, we have enough people within our community that know Next.js really well, that know AWS pretty well. We don't use Next.js of the three of us, me, Frank, Jay, none of us use Next.js, none of us have ever used Next.js, we will never use Next.js, it's just not it, It's just not an area of expertise for us. But we do understand the AWS side really well, obviously. So we basically worked with our community, we figured everyone's, there's a bunch of disparate attempts to do this, but there's not anything with like a ton of weight behind it, with just awareness of the infrastructure side and just enough people that were actually using something. So we decided to do it and we spent the effort on it. It was a lot of work. I didn't do any of it, by the way. I was just like, Frank, this is your problem. Uh, I'm not, I'm not even going to, no one even asked me, to be honest. No one was like, Dax, you know, they just knew that I was, it was not, not for me. But our Next.js channel was like very active and we had a lot of contributions from, from people that, that helped us get there. It is extremely tedious. It is extremely hard to keep up with uh, one intentional changes that uh, Vercel and Next.js make but also just breakages that they do accidentally. Like when you actually track it, like patch version by patch version, like a lot of stuff just breaks randomly between them. It is a lot of overhead and we will always be behind to some degree. We will always be a little bit worse. There's been a few things we found that we can do better just because of our unique positioning. But in general, it's always going to be a slightly worse experience. But the reality is, uh, and this is kind of very contrary to how Vercel positions themselves, the vast majority of Next.js users Next.js isn't the thing they live and die by. It's like 10% of their overall system. They're not making huge decisions about where they run their stuff just based off of Next.js. They have a separate backend that might be written in a different language. They have their database. They have all kinds of stuff going on. They have all their asynchronous stuff going on. They've got queues. They've got events, all this stuff going on. And they happen to have a Next.js front end. Putting that in a different host for a lot of companies, one, just it's tough compliance-wise, tough organizationally. And there's just like, like overhead, like just syncing service, like pointing to the right services and like keeping that in sync and Vercel. It, it's just a pain. So for most of our users, it's not like that's the thing that they're, they're not, they're not working on next year at SF. It's just a, a component of, of a larger system. So for them, they just want to put in AWS. They don't care if it works 80% as good as it would on Vercel. It's like good enough because right. it's just, you know, a, a small piece. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, for me, like the appeal of Next.js, and again, I don't live and die by that particular framework or and most things in life anyway, <laughs> but is that it was just some sanity 
in the world of react right react is just supposed to render things right the view layer and then people figured out 47,000 different (laughs) ways to make it applications and everything's a component or not or you know whatever else everything in the middle and in fact that just a bunch of choices were made for you out of the box i'm like yeah okay i can live with this if we're going down this path i can live with this and i feel like for a lot of people that's probably the sentiment from Vercel's perspective, I'm sure they just want to grab some unicorns that scale and don't want to leave, right? Like, that's the intent. They don't care about people doing experiments on there or whatever. It's just a challenging situation because uh, I agree, like, it is a necessary thing. If you're in the React world, you don't really want to be cobbling all this stuff together. You can, it'll be worse than Next.js. So, obviously, if you're going to build a React application, you should just use it. And now it's like even more tightly integrated with how. Like the future, what the future of React looks like. It's even like tightly integrated into the React docs. Like there's just a lot of synergy there, for better or worse. But that that's that that makes sense. It's a tricky situation for Vercel because of the thing that I was describing, where for big companies, it's just not the most critical part of their infrastructure. The companies where it is typically are e-commerce companies. E-commerce companies, their entire product is the Next.js site, and they take advantage of every single Next.js feature, all the little optimizations, everything. And if you look at all their, their feature set, it tends to lean that way. So I think there is like a little bit of a mismatch. I don't think it really matters that much. I think it's fine for, for most products. Uh, if you're building like a SaaS application, technically the company that's building Vercel, they're, they're a little bit more like focused on like the e-commerce side because that's where the money comes from for the most part. Yeah. And that tracks. That's why Next Commerce got released and yeah. Yeah. You see more efforts and documentation and whatever supportive of that particular application type. So it yeah. makes sense there. So when we talk about kind of the meta framework and all the decisions made, and we talked a little bit offline about uh, Ember.js, and mm-hmm. you, you actually are familiar with Ember.js, which is Robbie's home. Yeah. I, mean, I would love to hear a little bit about uh, your experience with it. And yeah. Just, so to know, clarify, opinions. I am a fan of something that I discovered from the Ember community. So I haven't like like used Ember.js directly too much, but I think, and I, I might be just misremembering how exactly this connects, but I believe there's something called Ember Data, and I believe that has a close tie with JSON API, if I remember correctly, or there's like a nice integration between the two. So I watched a talk a couple years ago where I, it, it was at the Ember conference, I think, Someone was describing how they would build an application that would run on a satellite that's orbiting the moon. So for certain parts of the day, the application would have no way to connect to the Earth. So it was basically like, imagine a client that has crazy latency, potentially, and how would you build an application for them? And it was showing how you could use this thing called Orbit, and it's it's a library, and JSON API, and how all those things work together. I was mostly interested in the JSON API part. I found it fascinating because, and there's this other post that I read, uh, just kind of comparing GraphQL. There's a lot of problems that GraphQL solves uh, very intentionally. And those problems seemingly seem impossible to solve without GraphQL. But when I looked at JSON API, I was realizing, oh, they actually solved all those same problems, but without deviating too much from from REST. And all your typical REST tooling still works and it looks like a normal REST, REST endpoint. And it basically has like everything I cared about from GraphQL, which was mostly uh, expressing relationships and like kind of traversing through relationships. So yeah, I discovered JSON API and I was like, why, why is every REST API not modeled this way? Like, why do we all make up our own like crappy implementation of REST? Like every single scenario you could possibly think of, JSON API had a clear way of this is how you do it. But to this day, when I do, uh, this doesn't happen often, but when I build a RESTful API, usually typically something that's external facing, I will try to follow the JSON API spec. I know that's like close ties with the, the Ember world. Yeah. Yes and no, actually. Uh, well, I mean, mostly is, yes. So, yes, because <laughs> Yehuda has a tie in both right. projects. Yeah. Yehuda is also in Rust. And you're welcome, Robbie. I just teed you up and you got a little validation there. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's these are a lot of things he because, said uh, over and over again. Yeah. We just talked to Runspire, the guy that's like in charge of Ember Data. Uh, his mm-hmm. big thing at EmberConf was like, it's he's going to, he wants it to be agnostic, like use it in any framework. So, it's going to be a thing that people can use in, in whatever soon, hopefully. And we'll see if anyone picks it up. But um, I think it'll unlock a lot of stuff if people looked at JSON API and some of the way those things work together. Or as you mentioned, like Orbit is great and you can use that in anything right now. Uh, we use that a little bit, but it's a lot more complex. 
Yeah. I think Orbit initially introduced me to the idea of, I wouldn't say it's like a local first type of framework, but the idea is like your client basically has a like syncs data and like can query the data directly locally and you're more just syncing the state with the server. And the applications I build now are like very much heavily local first, like syncing a lot of data locally, doing as many operations locally as possible. Uh, and Orbit was the first was the thing that first introduced me to that idea. I was I was actually really trying to use it heavily, but if you like go back to my tweets, there's a tweet of mine begging them to like create a Slack mm. or like a Discord because they were on some like weird mm. I forgot what it was. Just one of those like maybe it was Matrix. I don't remember what it was. And I was like Yeah, it was like one of those Git oh, attached like the GitHub oh, yeah, thing. Or, I don't, there yeah. was a Git one initially and they moved it to Matrix while I was or something like that while I was I was yeah. looking into it and I was like, JSON API is great. I really think if a lot more people knew about this, they would like really consider it. Can we just like have a place, which is what a place where people are used to going, whether it's Slack or Discord or whatever. And I was trying to get that going and then it just turned into a debate around like the philosophies of like corporate chat platforms. And I was like, okay, okay, I tried. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. So I eventually was just, was, was just struggled getting enough support in terms of like other people building this way. Um, but I do like philosoph philosophy wise, like the actual technology was was fantastic. I think we have some opportunities offline that we could discuss some of that. We know some of the people in those ecospheres that I nice. mean we worked on some of the things. We know the 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 Orbit JS guy. Or, yeah. What was his name? Yeah. Yeah, I forgot his name. Dan. Dan Gebhardt. Dan Dan Gebhardt, yeah. And then Yehuda sounds familiar too. I think I follow him on, on Twitter. He's a JSON yeah. API person yeah 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 like cats on twitter yeah he was rails yeah. initially i guess and jquery mm -hmm. and he's been in a lot of stuff yeah so we'll we can bounce around but we'll we'll go to this uh first one here of if you weren't in tech what other career would you choose oh man this is so hard because i swear that this is the only job i could ever do and i'm always so grateful that i live in a time where <laughs> this is a job that i can do yeah, that, that's that's a really tough question. My my dad's also a software engineer, so like even if I like think about what my family just, I'm just I'm just like bred for this. I feel like not really like before my dad, everyone in my family was a farmer for like ten thousand years. So <laughs> I guess not really. Like we shifted in recent history. Man, I don't know. I don't think I've ever. Well, I don't think I have an answer for this. I think I, let's clarify and say crazy. it has nothing yeah, to do with it? skill or things that you think you could do like if you could have any job and just miraculously get that skill like what do you think would be fun <laughs> yeah, to like do interested in or what yeah. sounds fun or yeah that's true that but that, that's actually what i'm talking about i'm just like to be honest like i'm just i just like what i do and i don't really care about anything else i feel like okay. if it was if i didn't have to do this i just wouldn't really want to do anything i just like building stuff so any any like maybe you'd be a construction worker any, or well, but I, architect I, 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 I want to be able to be creative. I feel like construction workers is kind of just like, you got to do the thing. Architect can be creative. That's true. Creative. An architect, architect can be creative. Um, I'm, I'm just, yeah. And when I, when it comes to like building stuff with my hands, I'm just terrible at it. Like I just get way more frustrated when something goes wrong physically than I would with like a software bug. So even like building stuff physically, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm like screwed. I think if, <laughs> if this job goes if away. If you weren't born at this time. Yeah, exactly. It would have been real rough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, rough. You would have been like, uh, would you like to supersize that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I do like business. I just love like all aspects of building a company. Um, everything just from organizing the company, like strategy, like marketing, all of that. Uh, so I think I would have still end up a, I ended up a founder of some sort, just maybe less useful than I am today. <laughs> <laughs> different capacity yeah. but still business minded yeah. um so since you are rich adjacent um mm -hmm. have you noticed any differences so far since you've become Lionel messi's neighbor <laughs> well have you guys seen those pictures of him in the grocery store yeah of course i'm a i'm a big soccer football fan so yeah i watch a lot of european soccer and nice. was very interested in that like I'm a David Beckham fan from way oh, back yeah. in the day because Manchester United in the 90s was like the shit for me because I'm old yeah. and that was normal yeah. time. So, you know, I'm very aware, but I didn't know if you have noticed yeah. <laughs> anything and if soccer is a thing you're interested in or... Yeah, it's definitely not something I'm, I've been interested in. I can see myself getting a lot more interested in just because it's getting a lot more exciting locally. Uh, that right. grocery store thing was crazy because I've struggled to explain this correctly, but the grocery store he went to is like 
the grocery store you would go to as a kid with your parents when they forced you to go to the grocery store with them. It was like, like just like the most local grocery store that everyone has a memory of going to. And then seeing him there with no like entourage or bodyguard, it's like very, very weird for people here. They're like, <laughs> just like in the aisles of like the, the public's like, what the, that's so weird. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, that's why he chose here versus Saudi Arabia. He's like, I need some level of anonymity for my family. Like, <laughs> my wife is sick of it. It's time. Yeah. He can tell people he's a football player and they'll go, oh, and have no idea what he's talking about. It's America. <laughs> yeah. Because he's like 5'8", 5'7", 5'8", something like that. Yeah. So. I guess you could overlook him if you're not like really paying attention. I, I, I can see that happening. The thing though is he picked Miami, which in a lot of ways is like not in America. <laughs> like when, you, when you're here, yeah. it almost feels like you're in a different country. Uh, and there are a lot of soccer, soccer fans here. So yeah, it's yeah. a huge deal. Everyone's really excited. Uh, the ticket prices are, are insane. Like they're like unattainable that. all of a sudden. Mm. Yeah. More yeah, or less like than a, Taylor Swift. Right. Oh, I mean, I heard Taylor Swift is like impacting the economy. So I don't think it's oh, like yeah. that yeah. scale, but I know across like MLS and the associated like season tickets and things like that, like a $30 match ticket has turned into like a thousand dollar match ticket. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, I'm from like the Cincinnati area. And so good mm -hmm. friends of mine have season tickets there and they all for a moment hesitated they're like i don't know this thing like i could resell this and like, you could also just go see him because it didn't yeah. cost you a thousand so oh so yeah it's increasing the prices everywhere because when he's, he's there for away and, games oh, yeah any inter miami game is like shot up in price like crazy amounts that's amazing mm -hmm. and, and that first game was also like kind of asked for a better better opening Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's been exciting. Like win in the ninety third minute or something. Yeah, <laughs> with an incredible free kick, and you're like, "That's why I'm here." Well, yeah, yeah welcome. They're building like Crazy. basically the Galacticos too in Miami. So yeah, they're uh, yeah they're recruiting other former teammates of his. And yeah, like, how is this even possible? I did see. I mean, there's a lot of money here. That's how it goes. I mean, David Beckham. You oh, said David yeah. Beckham. He's like a very involved. He owns Inter Miami. Or like he's the part owner. Yeah. yeah, that was part of his deal back in like 2007. Is that he basically had a locked-in price to get oh, his own team, and so he was like, okay. And then you know, because the the fee there was a couple of different stipulations mm. that applied later on that didn't apply to him because oh, he see. just had a contract that said. I'm locked in at yeah. like 30 million versus 60 million for someone now or something of that nature. Yeah. And I think they, uh, he's working, I think he just got everything finally approved. Like they're building a new stadium as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. and the plans for it look, look really cool. Like they're actually putting a lot of work on the surrounding area not just the stadium itself. Uh, yeah. So it's definitely an exciting, exciting time. Yeah. If nothing else, making this boring place called, uh, what is it? Me, me, mommy, <laughs> I don't know. Some yeah. place in Florida that doesn't have a, a, a mouse. <laughs> yeah. A lot of art deco buildings, you know, yeah, yeah. We, you, we, you, we got, we got F1 like that came here mm. in the past couple of years and now we, yeah, lots happening. It's cool. Do you have any other hobbies other than like, writing code and Twitter? Really? No, I have, I have, I spent a lot of time with my dog, like, He's a he's a Doberman that needs a lot of attention. Um, I did see that. So yeah, I I do like those dogs. They're badass looking. So yeah, it's kind of a nice thing. I'm allergic to like everything, but uh, yeah, to get a dog yeah. something like that or larger would be in my wheelhouse. Yeah. I I love. I think this is the first time I've had a Doberman. I think I'm probably going to have them forever now because they're just such a well-rounded dog. Like very calm for the most part. But they're like, they're so big, so they're fun. Like a big dog is fun. There's like great personalities, super smart. Uh, so there's just a lot that we can do with him given like he's like a smart dog. There's a lot you can do. Uh, so we spent a good time there. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get into, I was saying this this morning. I was trying to get, I'm trying to get into kite, kiteboarding, kite surfing, oh, um, which is pretty challenging. So I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just spend like several months getting good at it, but I'm trying to like start going to classes and stuff, but yeah, I figured, hey, I actually live by the water now so I can do all these water things that I never considered before. Yeah, nice. How do you practice kite surfing? Like, what if it's not windy? Can you get pulled by no a boat idea. to practice? I'll, I'll, or I'll go to my, surf? I don't know. I'll go to my first class and, uh, and I'll find out. I think I just don't think you need a lot of wind because it's such a big kite and it flies up so much higher than the person. Okay. Um, but there are, like, conditions that are required, but I think they're, they're pretty forgiving. Um, I did find out, though, that I can't just go buy a 
buy the equipment and just like pedal out. Like you actually need uh, to pass a test to show that you're capable mm-hmm. of X, Y, Z things uh, before you're allowed. Of course you can go there and no one will catch you, but technically you're supposed to like pass licensing and stuff. So it definitely is like a, a serious thing, but yeah, I want to, I want to put in the effort to get good at it. Cause I think once you're good at something like that, it's just like, it's just fun to be able to do that whenever, whenever you feel like it. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to be by the water, you have to like get a sailboat or get a water hobby, I think. Yeah. In some ways. I would love to have a boat one day, but you know, it's just one of those things where I'm still in the phase of it's better to know someone that has a boat than to, than to own a exactly. boat. One day you know I will th- yeah. own a boat, but yeah. yeah. You know what they say about boats and other things. I'm not going to say it on this. <laughs> Sorry. <Okay>. Very expensive. <laughs> there you go. Just go with that. Better, better to rent it. Yes. Oh, okay. I know what you were going to say. <laughs> There's a lot of things you could have said, but I get what you're saying. But yeah, I think it's always better to like have someone else that owns the boat. You don't have to do the maintenance yeah, on it. Boat you don't have to drive it. You yeah. just ride on it. Like, yeah, there's yeah. so many boats here. Like, it's hard not to have a boat friend here. Like, it's just very, very easy to. <laughs> I guess like like I've been saying, rich adjacent. Yeah, quite easy. Yeah. Where did you move from? Uh, so the last ten years, I was in New York, which is uh, where I met my wife. We worked at a company together. She was head of product. I was head of engineering. You know, made to happen. Uh, and then uh so but she's originally from miami and she was living in new york for say there for a total of four or five years and then uh i actually really wanted to come down here like once i started coming down here and visiting her family and we'd stay here in the in the winter um i was like we're come we're moving here full time i don't care if new york was your dream like this is clearly where we're supposed to be uh, <laughs> right. she eventually came around to the idea and, and now we're both very happy here yeah, you you can touch fake grass. I mean, you got the ocean. It's uh, perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my my front and backyard are entirely actual turf, which I always want to clarify for people it was not my decision. Like, you can make fun of me for having fake grass, but know that it wasn't a choice I made. It just is how my house came, and it was not my decision. And I would probably change I have- it. I have real grass and I live in the desert and it's not supposed to be here. So I'm, I'm <laughs> conflicted the other way around, right? Yeah. Like I like, uh, natural landscaping and uh-huh. in the back we have it just cause I have small kids, but otherwise I would have fake grass or like xeriscaping like everywhere. Cause I hate wasting all the water. Yeah. And I, I don't, it's been like aesthetically, I don't, I don't love like the manicure lawn as much anymore. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, I don't know exactly what I would do. I think I would just do something crazy in the front yard. I feel like that's like a white picket fence, Midwest kind of dream. I literally have a white picket fence too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. That's, that's yeah. fair. You're, you're halfway to do the dream. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Uh, we are about at time. Is there anything we missed talking about? Uh, anything you want to plug before we end? Not really. I just, when I do these things, I just like to come hang out and chat. So yeah, I think I'm definitely good on, on that note covered your basis for the most part yeah i think yeah we talked about sst i did i can count it as this was work technically there you go (laughs) just put put this on your billable frank you better pay him (laughs) all right cool uh thanks everyone for listening if you liked it please subscribe leave us some ratings and reviews we appreciate it and we will catch you next time